The scripture for today's sermon comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. The word of God speaks to us. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed life and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the, the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is God's word to us. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn right there to that very passage, Genesis 2. My name is Chad, and I just... As a, a way of starting, I, I just say, almost confessionally, I, I felt this morning a sense of, I, I just had this picture of, of stumbling into Jesus at a well and, and just needing him to draw the, the waters of life up for me. And maybe that's you this morning. And so I, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for our time. And, and I, I want you to pray for me as well, that we would experience the living waters of Jesus today, his grace afresh for us today. And so, Father, we, we thank you. We need you. I need you. And, and I think I'm not alone in that. And so, uh, Spirit of God, come. Do work on our hearts that only you can do. And, and help us. Help us to see you glorious, to see you magnified in everything. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in week three here of walking through Genesis, of, of stepping into this book. We're, we're picking it up in chapter two, and, and I'll just tell you, maybe you may or may not know this, I have three daughters. When they were little, when they were little, I, I put together a playlist. This is the, the world we're in. I put together a playlist for them, and it was a, a whole series of songs. It turned into being like 11 hours worth of music or something that I'm sure they never made it through. But here's, here's the idea behind it. It was like, here's a whole playlist of songs that you just need to be familiar with. You don't, need to, you don't have to love every one of them, but like, I, I don't want you to be weird, so you need to at least have some working knowledge of this and, and some familiarity with it. We titled it appropriately, The Musts. And, and so these are the, the songs that you just must know, you just must be conversant with. You're going to hear them everywhere. They're going to be referenced in pop culture. They're all over the place. And, I, and in that, I remember a moment we were, we were driving down the street and like this song comes on, we're in the middle of this and, and a song comes on and I'm like having a moment. And I'm deep in this. I'm deep in this, this song. I won't tell you which one because it will distract you from everything. But like, uh, I, I'm having a moment and I'm like, I'm like somewhere else right now. Until one of my girls is like, hey, can we skip that? <laughs> I 
I was deeply wounded. I'm not over it. I was deeply wounded. And here is my, my parental wisdom I gave. No, we can't skip that. It's turning up the volume right now. We're going we're gonna to have that. And I bring it up because there are so many things in life in which it, God leads us to spots. God starts to be like, hey, this is, this is something that you need to be aware of. This is what I'm doing. And uh, I find myself saying, hey, can I skip that? I find myself saying, hey, I don't really want that in my life. There's, there are all sorts of things. There, there, there are difficult days. There, there are things that we have to step into. There's even like, there's seasons, of course. We talk about seasons, but there's also just things that are like every bit of life is like, uh, like work, I'd rather skip that. There are things in life that we just like, hey, can we skip that? That's not really important. And you know what? My playlist isn't that important. But, but here's where we're at. We're, we're in chapter two, and, and this whole thing about origins and foundations is happening. God is giving us all this uh, meat, meat, like just the, the real meat where he's like, here is who you are. Here's who I've created you to be. And here's the purpose of all of that. And I find in my own heart and and so often around me, I find it's like, hey, can we skip that? Can we just skip it? And yet this text right here feels again and again, almost a like signal for us. Hey, this is something that you need to know. This is what you need to know. And we're going to sit in that. And so there's a couple things I want to do today. And there's a couple of things I, I want us to walk through. And, and one is just the nature of man, the God-given nature of man, the God-given placement of man, where he has placed us to be, and the God-given purpose of man. That's, that's how we're going to walk through this today. And I want us to, to really pay attention to these words because they're the words of life. They're the words of life for us. And so let's, let's jump in here. And as we open chapter two, as we open this chapter, there are a couple of things that are important for context or they're important for us to catch. The first is that the book of Genesis is broken into 10 just distinct divisions. There are sections of, of this. And here's where we start to see the change in those divisions. It uses a repeating phrase that we'll see as we walk through these 11 chapters right here. But the phrase shows up for the first time in verse 4, and I want to read it for you. It'll be on your screen, but I want to read it. These are the generations of the heavens, of the heavens and the earth, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. These are the generations. These are the generations in essence means like, hey, what, what you are about to read is a further development of. It's like what you just read uh, here, this section that we're moving into is a further development off of that. It's not a disconnected story. It's not something that just is like, okay, now, now we're going to change the topic. No, it, it actually all is a further development, even if it feels like a, a massive zag. If it feels like a, a scenic turnout into like, why are we suddenly talking about this strange family that, that is out there doing things? Like, no, it's actually a further development in the story. And so chapter one, he's giving us a creation account cosmically. And chapter two sometimes gets seen as like, oh, it's just like a retelling of the creation story. Well, no, it's not. It's a further development of the creation story in which the focus is on man. 
The focus is on man right here. It's a continuation. It's a narrowing of the story. It's an, it's an answering of the question, who is the one made in the image of God? We've already done some work on that, but, but we'll, we'll do a little bit more today. And, and what is he here for? It's that identity and purpose that keeps coming out. It's identity and purpose. So the second thing I want you to see, first of all, there are distinctions, and we need to pay attention for those distinctions for the continuation. But the second thing that shows up in our passage is massive for the ways that we read it. It's super important for us. It's, it's this language that changes here. The introduction of the title, Lord God. It's not a stutter. It's not just flowery language. It's really important. In, in chapter one, we got the, the word Elohim that comes up. But in chapter two, we get Yahweh Elohim. Lord God is how we translate it. And the writer uses this personal this personal and covenant name for God. Why? Why is that? Because he wants us, he, he wants us to catch this. He wants us to see that the God of creation shouldn't be understood as distant or detached. It's personal. It's not just God overall. It's God right here in the dirt and literally in the dirt. As if it, it's as if he's trying to say he didn't just make you to bear his image. He made you to walk with him. He wants to walk with you as, you as you learn what that looks like, as you learn what you're here for. He wants you to see all of it. It's, a, it's just like a good father saying, like, hey, these are the things that you need to know. And this is the way in which we walk. It's identity and purpose showing up. It's identity and purpose speaking through every bit of this text. And it's important for us to see. So let me dive into this first kind of section for us. The God-given nature of man. And here we are in chapter 2, verse 5. Pick it up with me and we'll read through verse 7. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for, why? Why, had, why was there nothing in the land? Why, why was there nothing out there? For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. It isn't just that there was no rain, it's that there was no man there. What? And it isn't just like, oh, we have a man that's gonna sit by the pool or something. It's a man to work the land. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, formed the man of dust from the ground. And catch this, he didn't just like, got this. And what did he do? breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. You see, with man, God takes an interest going beyond the rest of creation. God didn't just form him. God does do that. He doesn't just form him, but he breathes life into him. He formed him in his image. The creation, uh, this creation account is incredible. The Lord God formed the man. In verse seven, we see that he, he like gets his hands in the dirt. 
He, he gets his hands, it says, out of the dust, God gets his hands. And we have like this, this almost a shadow, almost a shadow of what later on Romans will talk about of the potter creating. This, this almost a, a, a pre-picture of the potter in his creation right here. It's God who could have spoken it just as he spoke into existence. The heavens and the earth didn't just speak it. He got his hands in the dirt. And after forming him, it says God breathed life into man. Like such a personal thing. When I first got married, one of the things that drove me crazy was when, when we would go to sleep and my wife would breathe on me. She'll probably hate, you to, hate, me, hate me. She won't hate you. She'll hate me for saying that. And I was like, oh, I can't handle this. This is rough. This is all these types of things. I can't, I, I just can't handle this stuff. No, what, here's what we have. We have the living God who is so intimate and close to us that he takes this, what is dust, dust formed and he breathes life into it there's an intimacy to this language there's a warmth and a personalness to it it's not just it's not just a giving it's also a blessing it's something beautiful it's like the shadows of a of a father in a delivery room like beaming with joy and what, is, what, is, what does every new father talk about and every new mother? Like baby's breath. And the nearness, the intimacy of all of this that comes out of it. And so two things, two things stand out right here, just this far into it. And I think they should stand out to you as well. It's about this nature of man. Man is made from the dust of the ground. But there's also a play on words here. There's, a, there's this Hebrew play on words. When I was in college, I took a biblical Hebrew class and they hammered this. They really wanted us to, to catch this, is that Adam, Adam is actually this word, is the Hebrew word for ground. And, and in Hebrew, it's Adam ah. That's important for us. That ah is really important. You see that in a lot of Hebrew words, this ah. And I remember my professor so vividly talking about this. It's not just that Adam means ground. It's that ah. What is ah? What is it when you even say ah? It is breath. It's breath. So you come to other names that we won't get into today, but Abra. And Sarai becomes Sarah when her life changes and when God speaks into this and when everything, uh, when everything changes because of covenant and God forms out of dirt this man who's named after the ground, but he breathes life into him, even into his name. It's so personal. It is so intense. And when, 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 when you see this, it's impossible for us to ever have an understanding of ourselves, of ourselves apart from God. It's like God is so intimately involved in the forming and the breathing of life. And yet the second piece here is that God, the father, creator of man and woman is precisely it is, he is the reason why there is dignity and potential captured in every single living human being. Why? Because every single person is an image bearer of the king. 
Every single one. It's his nature. It's the God-given nature of man and woman. And so this leads us directly to the second part. So let's, let's pick it up in verse 8. It's God's placement of man. It's not just that he formed him. It's that God formed him and placed him in a particular spot. And so verse 8 tells us this. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground... The Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, the Lord God planted a garden. Once again, he's close to creation. He didn't plant a parking lot. He didn't plant just a, like a high rise or anything. He planted a garden. He gave them this. He was close enough to have uh, a dirt under his fingernails. God literally is reaching down to this. The father is readying the house to make it a home, so to speak. As we see it, it's after, after God had finished planting, the Bible said God places man in the garden. And here's where we, we, we see this kind of uh, turn. Again, we've talked about temple, and, and, and Jeff has led us so well into thinking about temple, and then what gets placed in the temple, what, what is in the temple through that. But notice we've already had the language of forming and breathing, and, and now we get planting and placing. There's a forming and a breathing, and now there's a planting and a placing. God could have put them anywhere. God could have placed him outside of the garden and said, hey, find your way back home. Instead, uh, God put him right in the middle of all that he had created, which was good and beautiful and for a purpose. Now, catch this. I'm going to return to it here in a little bit. But imagine if Adam had said, hey, can we just skip that song? Can we skip that song? And this is what makes the, the message of the Bible so different from all other religions. It's so different. In all others, man is searching for God, trying to work his way to God, trying to be good enough for God, trying to say, God, will you love me? God, will you accept me? Will you do all these things for me? No, here God is bringing man into his presence. It's God who is doing every bit of it. It's God who is initiating with man. And this is happening in the beginning. Chapter 2. It's not like this is a later development. This is the pattern from the beginning. And everything else that we hear about the garden is God's overflowing generosity to provide everything, everything for man. It's his generosity. It's, it's God's generosity. Now, now you kind of know where the story is going. You grew up in a spot in a place in the world in which you probably know where the story is going. There's going to be a fall. But where we're at and everything that we read about this garden is all for their good and for their blessing. And God could have placed them anywhere and said, hey, you don't get to eat of any of this. No, every bit of this is for their blessing. The name Eden itself means luxury or delight. You see, God, God is stopping at nothing. Nothing. He's stopping at nothing to provide everything. to provide everything for man to flourish. 
verse nine even tells us he didn't just provide food, but he provided good food. It wasn't just that he provided a meal. It's not just a garden, it's a beautiful garden. And he even goes so far into verse 16 that you, you have free run over this whole place, access to everything here except for one tree, which we're gonna talk about here. <laughs> except for one. And you can't help but hear the voice of the father, just the voice of, of a good father. In this case, a perfect father, the perfect father saying like, man, girls, everything I have is yours. It's yours. With the placement of, of man in the garden, the, the writer is, is stacking evidence upon evidence. He's just stacking up the evidence to show the goodness and generosity of God. But best of all, it's, it's not just that there's stuff there for man. It's not just that there's like, oh, I like food as much as anybody. Like, it's not just that there's good food and good things there. It's a good time. No, it's that God is there with them. That's what sets us apart. It's the sheer volume of the beauty and the blessing of the garden in which we're intended to see makes chapter three in the fall so scary and hard. If we miss that here in chapter two, then we miss so much of why the fall is devastating. It isn't just a loss of blessing, it's, a, it's, it's separation from God. And I don't know, I, I, I don't know how you read that. I don't know how you hear that, but like so often we just come to it and we skip around and we, we read through these things and we're like, ah, oh, I've heard that story before. I don't need to hear that. I don't need to hear that song again. I don't need to go through that. Or this is a song, I, I'm familiar enough with this part of the this stuff. I'm gonna skip that one. I'm gonna skip that. No, you sit in it, listen to it, hear the notes and feel where the writer is leading you. Because we get to this third turn right here and it's God's purpose for man. So we've talked about God, the God-given nature of man. We've talked about the God-given placement of man. He could have put him anywhere. But here's where we, we need to see this. It's the God-given purpose for man. Read with me verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the, there's a big theological kind of framework that is built out of this passage right here. Uh, it's called the cultural mandate. This is, this is what we're supposed to do in this world. But maybe, like, like, maybe we miss that because you're like, here's the big purpose for my life, work, clang. Like, you're telling me the big purpose, the thing that all this is leading to is work? Like another to-do list? Another thing? Like, Chad, I have enough of that. 
I have enough of that in my life. And I, I want you to catch this. It's God, God's blessing and command for humanity to grow from the garden to the cities. This is not staying here, right here. It's to fill the earth and develop every aspect of culture, language, art, music, food, like philosophy, business, everything that you can think of right here, science, all of it. Every bit of this. And this is chapter two. Work was a part of the plan from the beginning. Remember that. It's not a part of the fall. It's not a result from the fall. When we work, we are imitating the Lord God. We're imitating the Lord God who is what? He's creator. He's gardener. He's cultivator. We're, we, we are walking in his ways. We're living out his purposes. And we've got to catch that. Work isn't a necessary evil, but an essential good. I'm going to say that again for us. Because sometimes we're like, no, I got to go to work. I got to pay the bills. I got to do this. Or, or maybe, maybe it's even a bit more refined. I've got to go to work because if I'm, I don't want to be lazy. I don't want anybody to think I'm lazy. You see, work is not a necessary evil. It is an essential good for our lives. And Adam and Eve, as they were cultivating, as they were naming, as they were gardening, as they were growing things, as they, as they were working and keeping this thing, Adam and Eve brought to God one of the holiest acts of worship. In and through their work, in and through their cultivating, they extend the garden and they're walking in his ways with him. With him. You see, we're called to something bigger. We're, we're called to something bigger than like uh, some resort lifestyle of laying back and, and just endlessly taking it. We're called to something more. And, and I think so often we're like, man, I, I've tried Christianity. I've tried going to church and I just don't get it. And, and some of that might just be that we, we have missed this. We've missed chapter two, which is like, you are called to something bigger than yourself. You're called to something bigger than your nine to five. You're called to something bigger than just getting to the weekend or getting to retirement. You are called to something more than just a resort lifestyle of, of hang out, bring me another drink, we'll have a time of it. We're not even just called to some like endless solitude and meditation. We're called, God has created us with purpose, with presence and, and a place to cultivate the earth. And when we live to this calling, we're participating in the very work of God. And I can almost hear it, the inner monologue of like, yeah, good Bible lesson, Chad. <laughs> like, I'm not interested in thinking about Monday on Sunday. You can almost hear like, I hate my job. I feel so underwater in bills and time and, and treated like garbage at this, looked down on or not how I want it to be. 
Maybe you, you'd say, I have a perpetual bad case of the Mondays. And you feel that, and, and that's real. I don't want to discount it. I want to say that the word of God speaks a better word over your life. I understand. I understand those feelings. But more importantly, more importantly than me understanding those feelings is that God understands and those feelings have everything to do with these two trees that are standing in this garden. It has everything to do with it. These tree, the tree of life and the, the forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It has everything to do with it. And here's where we read that. 16 and 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, commanded the man saying, He's saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And you know how the story goes down from here, don't you? Instead of bringing order to chaos, Adam and Eve multiplied chaos. Instead of walking in God's ways, they, they started to walk in their own ways. And we know their story, but we forget that it's our story too. And so often, instead of walking in God's ways, we walk in just the others. Instead of walking in order, we walk in chaos. Instead of like cultivating, we, we just go to our J-O-B. Instead of seeing our... our our task in the garden that God has placed us in as, as, a, as an eternal, like cosmic calling from the living God, we look to our jobs for security. Or we look to our jobs to, to say that we're worthy or to say that we're, we're something. We look to our jobs to validate us. We look to our jobs to take away shame. Instead of all the ways in which God God has called us to so much more. Instead of walking in order and the way and the calling of God, we walk in chaos on this performance treadmill trying to say that we're good enough or that we have enough. And friends, once we start introducing all this enough, we lose sight of the one who has given us everything. Everything. And so much of our problem with work isn't our job, though you might not like your job at all. It isn't our job, but the, the stuff inside of us that we bring to our work. And it's like, it's like my girls rolling their eyes at, at the musts. Missing the point and, and focusing on the wrong things. It's like sometimes they would get to a song and think like, well, I don't, I don't really care for that song. That's not really the point, is it? We're trying to recognize what God has called us to. And maybe you're in a nine to five that you don't really like, but don't miss the bigger point. God has baked into it something. He's placed his very image, his nature upon you. Don't then turn to God and say, hey, can we skip that? He's placed you in a garden. He's placed you personally in a garden to tend. 
don't skip that. He's given you a purpose for wherever he has you in this season or or big picture. He's given you a purpose for where he has planted you. Don't say, hey, can we skip that? Can we skip that? Like, do you see how badly we need our identity and purpose to be reshaped by the word of God and not just like hear a nice thing and move on? We need our identity and our purpose reshaped by what God says we are and where he has us. That this, this, is, this is what's driving the arrival of Jesus who comes. The creator comes in flesh and blood to the place he has created. This is what you're driving him. Not to remove work or, or make it irrelevant or to promise us a heaven where there is no work. You see, work is a good thing from the beginning and it will always be because he's baked in purpose. It isn't just to keep the lights on. It isn't just to have enough stuff. It's just as we sang at the beginning. We said Christ would be magnified as this one who has called us, placed us, and sent us for purpose. Colossians 3 says this, and I'll end. Whatever you do, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord, the Lord who got in the dirt, the Lord who breathed life into Adam and into you. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Will you bow your heads with me?